good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurran. We're in the middle of our new season at the moment, which is having a hard look at blockbusters that have been adapted for the big screen. And for this episode today, we shall be talking about the 2003 action-adventure blockbuster that is based on the Disney theme park ride, Pirates of the Caribbean. So we should be looking at the first movie, The Curse of the Black Pearl, directed by Gore Vavinsky and produced by none other than Jerry Bruckheimer and starring Johnny Depp, Orlando Bloom, Kira Knightley and Jeffrey Rush. Pirates of the Caribbean, a theme park ride that developed into a film, a film that produced spin-off novels, video games and other media publications and even caused Disney to revamp up their old-fashioned rides to become one of the most striking theme park rides after the movie's release. The ride, which launched in 1967, one of the last Disneyland attractions that was supervised by Walt Disney himself, it survived as a dark ride both physically and in terms of the backstory given that Walt Disney, who died just three months after debuting the ride, he was involved in the original design of the ride which was based on ancient folklores and pirate legend primarily based on Italian writer Emilio Salgari, who was known for his swashbuckler adventure novels but rather known to be the grandfather of spaghetti westerns. Besides having the claim of being amongst the 40 most translated Italian authors, I think his real claim to fame is his claim to have met Buffalo Bill in Nebraska, and the maths and roots certainly line up. Anyways, let's bring the spotlight strictly back to the film in question. A movie about pirates. Well, who the hell was accepting this? This was going to be a respectable film. Pirates weren't sexy or on trend or just anything. It was meh. It was on par with making a Western in 2003. And people being told this was going to be good. This is going to be cool. This is going to be on trend. The next sensation. I mean, the 50s and 60s had probably the most encyclopedial knowledge on what pirate movies were. Kind of like slashes were in the 80s. Indies in the 90s with pirate films like Against Flags in 1952, Anna the Indies in 51, and Black Pirates in 54. Commercially, pirates just weren't a thing. They weren't touched upon. Maybe, I mean, last time it probably was touched upon before Pirates of the Caribbean was maybe Hook or Peter Pan adaptations, Muppet Treasure Islands, and anything adapted or related to Captain Nemo's adventures. But this was the first proper stab at the central story and protagonist all going heavy on the idea of pirates on a marketable level. And who better to lead the charge than Jerry Bruckheimer to make this somewhat appealing to the world? 2003, though, was an odd year. I mean, it was an odd decade. The noughties was the start of garbage, and an argument can be made that this was the worst decade of cinema since the 50s. It regrettably juxtaposed with what I consider to be, in time, the golden age, the 90s, which now, looking back at it, was ahead of the curve and had blockbuster popcorn movies at its peak, thanks to the talks of Y2K. The indie directors making waves like Shyamalan, Tarantino, Wes Anderson and also the 70s directors being completely established and relishing with the times like Spielberg, Lucas and Scorsese with their peak films like Jurassic Park, Goodfellas and the idea of coming off non-linear storytelling with the franchise was Star Wars. However, that being said, I do believe 9-11 was a huge contributor for the decline of cinema in the noughties, particularly serving notice to the surge of popcorn movies and focusing on lovable, happier films that somewhat resemble the John Hughes days of the 80s, but without the nostalgic execution. But instead, adding a sense of realism to every genre, removing the Hollywood charm the 90s sort of had with blockbusters. The noughties had to be reinvented. This is where we first met Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow, Daniel Craig's James Bond, establishing Liam Neeson as as an action star and taken and the start of Jason Bourne thanks to Matt Damon 
and its success was almost riding high on the achievements of the 90s with sequels like The Matrix Reloaded, Bad Boys 2, and of course Lord of the Rings. This gave Grit its chance to expand its wings and become a pleasurable experience to a commercial audience and create below R-rated movies like Taken and Born being more subtle than explosive. The sci-fi films even took a step back after The Matrix ended, and action didn't really know what it was going to be. Spider-Man and X-Men carried on with business as usual, but I do believe Pirates of the Caribbean was one of the best things that came out in the noughties. The whole franchise. And when I say the whole franchise, I mean the first three and nothing after it. So summer of 2003, exactly almost 20 years ago today, Pirates of the Caribbean comes out and it is a big blockbuster office success. Why? Nope, nothing to do with the pirates at all. Pirates weren't cool. It was the stars. It was the actors. This movie single-handedly made pirates cool again. Or should I say Captain Jack Sparrow made pirates cool again. This film did to pirates what Lord of the Rings did with the fantasy genre. It became again relevant. Johnny Depp, of course, coming off his stint with Tim Burton, being the lovable dark sensation in Sleepy Hollow, Edward Scissorhand, plus playing some cool badasses in R-rated movies like Blow and Fear and Loathing, certainly put his stop in the top range, especially with the female demographic. This, I would say, is when the world started to really commercialise Johnny Depp. He wasn't the action type. He had a niche and it was completely being exploited by Tim Burton, who wasn't everyone's cup of tea but he was quite trendy he still manages to incorporate the camp darkness he used in his 90s collaboration with Burton and still blending it with his character of Jack Sparrow Brookheimer who was on the helm of Pirates of the Caribbean had already made big stars of Tom Cruise with Top Gun Nicolas Cage with The Rock and Face Off Bruce Willis of Armageddon Denzel Crimson Tide Will Smith of Bad Boys these A-listers were guaranteed box office success and it was all thanks to Brookheimer films Depp had stayed relevant, but he had never got that dose of Brookheimer, and thus came 2003 Pirates of the Caribbean. Johnny Depp created a fictional role that would almost somewhat outlive the entire franchise, and that is not often you can say that about a character. It was an unbelievable role that was brought to life by the actor in so many ways, an Oscar-nominated role, his first one at the time. He had three to date, and all three were conveniently after this movie. I believe the other two were for Finding Neverland two years later and then Sweeney Todd back in 2008, and I think to this date he still hasn't had another Oscar nomination, but yet, you know, time will tell and see how he goes. I mean, he's just got off that case of Amber Heard, so we'll see what happens to him now. He based his entire performance between Rolling Stone's frontman Keith Richards and Bugs Bunny. And when I say that out loud, it's very easy to spot these cartoonish qualities and characterizations when watching the franchise. It wasn't just because he was lovable. Johnny Depp went through a lot to get this role tied down. His numerous tattoos had to be covered up by charcoal, including the Jack Sparrow tattoo on his arm. I think he got this done for real after the shoot for the movie was finished, knowing full well this movie was going to do well. He said a movie of this scale with the number of actors, extras, locations, money, makeup... I just don't see it going badly, he says, and he was completely spot on. This turns out to be one of his most definitive roles in his career. On top of the outfit, hair, makeup, and the covering of his tattoo, he had to wear contact lenses, which basically served as sunglasses so he wouldn't be squinting in the sun all the time. I mean, he personally got his mouth implanted with more gold teeth, knowing the studio would only let him have a certain amount. Johnny Depp also managed to improvise some of the film's greatest lines like Savvy, the whole eunuch rubbish he mentions, and also the film's last line, Bring Me That Horizon, which he thought of on the day of filming of that scene. And that's where the British band got its name from, in case you didn't wonder. Now, not everyone was a fan of Johnny Depp's portrayal because no one had seen anything like this. This was completely alien. When you play a superhero, you have material, you have a basic guideline on how to play a Superman or Iron Man, but this character was completely made up. Now, Johnny learned the pirate lines. He learned everything 
everything in a script. At the time, he learned that pirates were considered rock stars, which is why he chose to play them a bit like Keith Richards. When they did the first table read, no one knew what to expect. There was no indication on the paper or on the screenplay or the script on how to deliver the lines. I mean, Disney were just happy with saying the lines in a pirate kind of way, like kind of how Jeffrey Rush plays Barbosa. But Johnny Depp went straight into the reading with this broad portrayal, this kind of semi-British accent, which wasn't what anyone imagined or expected. Everyone was surprised. Some were put off. They thought his character was very drunk or gay. And the CEO of Disney at the time, Michael Eisner, thought Johnny Depp was intentionally ruining the film. How wrong they were. You just can't see anyone else doing this role. I think the only two actors that were considered was, I think it was Hugh Jackman was actually the original choice. Because the writer and creator of the character Jack Sparrow was Stuart Beatty. And he went to high school with Hugh Jackman. Hence why the character is called Jack. After Jackman, uh, after Hugh Jackman's name, and speaking of names, the screenwriter thought to name the three main characters after Bird, Jack Sparrow, uh, Elizabeth Swan, and Will Turner, who was a famous ornithologist. But Disney didn't think Hugh Jackman was that big yet. He had only just done X-Men and Swordfish and a few other little things like Oklahoma, and he was vetoed out. And then they went straight to a completely left field, I say left field choice, but a choice that was completely opposite of Hugh Jackman, and they went to Robert De Niro. And Disney, of course, approved of it. He was quite a big star at the time, not knowing what the character Jack Sparrow was yet, and he rejected it, saying that pirate movie was never going to be successful. He obviously later regretted that decision, looking about how big the film became and how the whole franchise became a global sensation. And then immediately he said yes to the next film that involved pirates, and that, of course, was Stardust, which was fine, but it wasn't in the same league as Pirates of the Caribbean. And then Johnny Depp's name comes up, which, by the way, was a commercial risk because, like Hugh Jackman, he wasn't a respected actor yet, which, you know, they took a gamble on Depp because of his cult following with his Tim Burton movies. And the gamble paid off because this film ended up becoming the fourth highest grossing movie of 2003. And bear in mind, this film was denied a release in China because the film contains references to the ghost or the afterlife or supernatural. So that's a massive market miss in there. And it still achieved fourth. Now, understandably, the films that beat it two were already established. And the others was a children's classic, Finding Nemo, which also starred Jeffrey Rush, by the way. And the others were the much-anticipated sequels to The Matrix, Matrix Reloaded. And number one, of course, was Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. But once Pirates of the Caribbean was established, the sequel, Dead Man's Chest, was the highest-grossing film in 2007, making over a billion dollars. I think to date it is the 10th highest-grossing franchise ever now 10th doesn't sound quite high it sounds quite low but you have to realize that you have star wars harry potter lord of the rings the marvel movies toby Maguire, spider-man james bond and most of these have more than three films so it's quite a high position considering you've got the fast and the furious franchise matrix Jurassic park etc etc it's safe to say that this movie ended the pirate movie curse an unofficial chatter amongst the hollywood sort of family that started in the 1970s that movies about pirates would always flop and until this movie i mean that was true scarlet buchanan in 76 the pirate movie in 82 savage island in 83 Yellowbeard in 83 pirates in 86 Waterworld in 95 cutthroat island in 95 so a little lesson here when in doubt just keep trying so Pirates of the Caribbean was a success. And let's have a look at the actual shoot. I mean, naturally, most of them were seasick while even filming. And I think only six of the days were actually at sea. And they were shooting for like four or five months. To be honest, there was a lot of issues that arose on set. I think there was a fire on the soundstage causing like $350,000 of damage. Kieran Knightley, who was 17 when casted, 18 during filming, was under the impression she would be fired because she was like really late. 
um, during the audition and she was late a few times on set because she was stuck in traffic. And she was like one of the biggest actresses at the age of 17, just coming off Love Actually as well. So this was a big sort of couple of years for her. She almost missed the first day because of absolute immense traffic and that's why she thought she was going to be fired. Orlando Bloom was another hit sensation as well. He'd done a few films, but this really catapulted his career. He wanted to play the character kind of cool because he was so dull, like the character of Will Turner. And Johnny Depp was like outperforming everyone. But that's what they wanted. And Gore Vavinsky, the director, had to remind Orlando Bloom not to be cool. You're a dork. So there are even times where they had to remove Johnny Depp from frame because his performance was just so overwhelming and so good that they had to put the focus back on a different character. And Zoe Saldana, who was in this movie, publicly commented about not having a good time she said it was too chaotic, too many things were happening. It was one of her early roles and she was taken back when Brooke, just, just, just there was too many things going on. She hated it and she publicly said that she didn't like it. And Brookheimer apologized to her about this, saying it was chaos, but there was a method to it. It's ironic that the only actress to star in the two biggest productions in cinema history went on to gross the most money in cinema history is complaining on being on set that is busy and she didn't like it. And I mean, she was in the two films that ended up becoming the most successful movies in history, which was Avatar and Avengers Endgame. Granted, she wasn't in the Endgame that long, but there you go. But anyways, there's no denying this film keeps the heart of what pirates are about, introducing every iconography associated with pirates and managing to drift away from the past failures and create something sellable to the vast public. And once again... It comes down to the cast and the likability. It doesn't take any side turns. It deals with pirates head on, considering the history of pirate films in the past and their financial returns. It excels in the rich traditions and associations of pirates. And pirate movies like The Pirate Cave, The Buried Treasure, The Talking Parrot, or Monkeys in this case, or Walking the Plank, they're all subtly put in the movie without being taken for a mockery. Maybe we could have seen more of the eye patch, but you have got a sincere pirate movie here. The costumes, the hair, the drink, and the rum, the hats, which, by the way, had to be made of rubber because Johnny Getbe get losing his hats in the water, so they had to make it out of a different material so it would float. We had the skulls, we had the ships, we had the curses, we had the sword fights, which were in heavy demand. All actors were obviously training for the movie and advancing just old-fashioned sword fighting. I think Jeffrey Rush was the worst. He said he was so obsessed with the fighting scenes that the stunt team would be sick of dealing with him, so he got really good at it. And Johnny, De- Johnny Depp, on the other hand, conveniently said that Sparrow had the Muhammad Ali approach to sword fighting, which was keeping his arms down and letting his opponents come to him. Least amount of energy for the maximum level of results is the thought of Sparrow, according to Johnny Depp. Interestingly, according to the DVD commentary, which I've sadly listened to in the script, Will Turner is the best swordsman followed by boy barbosa then commodore norrington and jack sparrow is actually the worst watching this film now removing the nostalgic qualities of the first time experience and introducing a little a bit of logic there are some glaring plot holes like humans fighting the undead at the end and jack sparrow's ability to escape every situation he's in but this movie does make you grin and it is heavily carried by the great act and delivered by both i would say jeffrey rush and johnny depp but anyway that's all I, all I have time for with Pirates of the Caribbean. It's amazing how films are made and well, what they get adapted from. Usually comic books or novels, but then you've got trading cards like Mars Attacks or a cartoon like the Flintstones or theme park rides like Jungle Cruise and this movie in question, Pirates of the Caribbean. I truly believe this was a landmark for Johnny Depp's career, throwing him straight into A-list status, giving the Naughties a positive reputation amongst the hard times it found itself in. And the real question is just knowing when to stop and to have a moment of pause and realise when enough is enough, despite our best efforts to want to keep the spirit of Captain Jack Sparrow alive. 
Disney came good in the noughties. They hadn't revived old classic. They hadn't sugarcoated existing material of live live actors or special effects and cast them with people who tick certain boxes, which is unfortunately where we find ourselves in. No, they had a small concept of Disneyland and they expanded it, thus creating one of the most successful franchises in history. Pirates of the Caribbean is an example of an adaptation done right with the right people and the right intentions. Anyway, you can subscribe to my podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google and Amazon. And you can also follow me on Instagram, that's Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. And if you fancy listening to another podcast, I co-host on another film podcast across the pond called Quantum Recast. Give them a follow, give them a like, give them a comment. It's a great concept and it's a lot of fun and great conversations happening over there with cinema. Um, but anyway, tune in next week for the next episode. And thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Curry. I'm on the score.